This is Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast. bonus tracks. Listener comments, album reviews, album facts, and outtakes. I'm Eric Paul Johnson. And I'm Eric Winsensen. Before we get to comments about Side 3 and 4, Troy White has something to say about our Sides 1 and 2 bonus tracks episode. He says, I love the bonus tracks episodes. This one was especially enjoyable. I love hearing my name mentioned every five minutes, lol. I have no interest or desire in replacing either Eric on this podcast, but if you want me to do a segment on each week's show, or less frequent than that, I would seriously consider doing that. Not much more to add, except that I have changed my mind about Across the Border. I used to think it would have been better as a B-side, but now I think it deserves to be on this album. Every album should have at least one song that sounds like it came out of left field. Across the Border should be that song on Out of the Blue. Still haven't changed my mind about Jungle. Yes, the Beatles did record songs like You Know My Name, Look Up the Number, but they never seriously considered putting it on an album. Wish they had felt the same way about a good chunk of the White Album. Yeah, I do too. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff on the White Album. There's a lot of stuff that should have wound up on Anthology 3. Especially Revolution 9. What the hell was that? Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, the Abbey Road is the best Beatles album. As for loving the bonus tracks episodes, thank you. I'm always surprised. I guess that's because I hate long episodes of podcasts. So this one's hit 90 minutes, and I don't expect to be listening to it because I don't have time to listen to a 90-minute podcast. And that's not just because I edited the whole thing and had to hear it a bunch of times. I just don't have time to listen to a 90-minute podcast. And I hate listening to things in chunks. So, And I forgot to put in this call for the last bonus tracks episode. 623-850-3375 Hello? Hi, this is Logan from Idaho. I've been following the podcast for quite a while, and I didn't get a chance to say it last week. But I was going to say, I think Starlight's probably... One of my favorite songs on Out of the Blue, considering there's also a lot of great songs on the album. I just think it's beautiful. I really enjoy how nice and melodic it is. It's one of the songs, ELO songs I can play on my guitar to a decent degree. And I think it's just a wonderful number and I can't get over how wonderful it all is. But then again, Jungle and Turn to Stone, everything else is also amazing. Anyway, big fan of Starlight. One of my absolute favorite songs. You heard me. Probably the best song on the album. And you guys are wonderful. I'm glad I get to listen to you every weekend. Bye-bye. I love you. Corey Gomel had a lot to say. Eric, gold star. Not you. Other Eric. Starlight is wonderful. I guess I get the gold star. A beautiful ballad. You didn't like it? Don't give me that, you snotty-faced heap of parrot droppings. Novelty? What the what? Listen, other Eric, you need to... Shut your Festering gob your tits, you vacuous, coffee-nosed, malodorous pervert! I'm sorry, but I am angry! Not really. Not at all. I was wondering how you guys would fill time on both Starlight and Believe Me Now. In all honesty, back in 19-whatever, when Out of the Blue first came out, it was hard to turn the record over, let alone listen to the second disc. That first side was killer, with Turn to Stone and Sweet Talking Woman, and I liked it's over more than you two. So it took a long time to get to side two. Not 1984, like some people. Oh, that'd be me again. But sometime. I think it was around the time Mr. Blue Sky was released as a single. Like, oh, is that on this LP too? I'd better give it more of a listen to then. I didn't have all day to listen to record, you know. Jungle was extremely weird to hear at first but was the only song on the LP to address the cover of the LP. So I figured it had to be on the LP. And, and as far as Believe Me Now, I always thought the vocoder part was saying, Believe Me Now, I Believe In You Somehow. 
Guess I'll have to ask Jeff what he's saying the next time I see him. Keep up the good work, Eric's. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Davidson says, Nice evisceration of Matthew Schultz's comments about <laughs> Jungle, guys. He was on point. Jungle presents a fantasy location and or characters in a childlike fashion similar to Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden. Your follow-up edition of Obladi, Oblada, etc. completely missed. Uh, I think Obladi, Oblada is more childish than Yellow Submarine or Octopus's Garden. Yeah, it's nonsense gibberish. I mean, the title anyway. Right. I mean, if you saw the recent movie Yesterday, that's the song he's singing at the end to a bunch of kids. All mm -hmm. the other songs he sang, including Yellow Submarine, I believe, were for adults. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll read the next comment because it relates and then I'll comment. David Mull, how's about that ugly Lion King rant? One more screamed, God damn, and my phone would have been tossed out the car window. Yeah, Jungle's kooky lyrics came way before the Lion King song. I got the winking point. Well, I stand by me of Lion King that I goddamn hate that goddamn movie. Especially the goddamn songs from that goddamn movie. And we owe a guy we owe him a phone. Oh yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta buy him a phone. So more people need to go to the Patreon and donate so we can buy the guy a goddamn phone. Yeah, because yeah. I think he just threw it out the window. I think so. I'm not saying that Jungle isn't uh, a kiddie song. I can definitely see it as a kiddie song. But it's not, to me anyway, I know Win Sensen over there didn't like, despised it. But to me, I don't think it's an insipid kiddie song like Hakuna Matata. Simple and annoying and just vapid. Just, you know what it is? It's not just an earworm. It's a SETI 5 eel. The thing that Khan put in Chekhov's ear, that's what Hakuna Matata is. It's not, a, not an earworm where like, oh, it's kind of annoying. It's one of those things that wraps around your cerebral cortex and eventually causes insanity or madness, however Khan said it. <laughs> need to calm down about the Lion King and Hakuna Matata. We'll just move on. They really need to combine the Lion King and Star Trek 2. Please don't. I no. I don't Hakan need. Hakan Amatata. Don't just. Oh, see. Hakan Amatata. You are getting your ass so beaten. I will kill you, your brothers, your mother, and your sisters. Matthew Schultz says, "LOL. Thanks for the mention, but it's cool. I was happy my comment could be used as fodder for the episode's needed energy." Well, thank you for your energy input. I I agree. Sometimes energy needs to be energized in, in the show sometimes. It's dull! 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 My god, it's dull! It's so desperately dull and tedious and stuffy and boring and desperately dull! We start off with comments from Standing in the Rain. Ed Coleridge says, I love Standing in the Rain. Well, uh, I'm, I'm hoping you're taking your cold medicine then. <laughs> It's one of my favorites, and it's amazing live. Seen it twice. Oh, and if you want to understand the song and the lyrics, then you need to stand outside in the freezing rain in the UK. Then it all makes sense. I've kind of come close. I lived in Boston until I was seven, so it's uh, it gets pretty cold there. Morton S. Erickson said, First of all, Standing in the Rain is an awesome song, in my opinion. My favorite on this LP. Second, on the use of tapes. Try listening to Stand-In on the excellent Eagle DVD from 20-06. It has the actual sound from the concert, unlike the previous releases. And you will see and hear that Jeff is singing. Yes, there are tapes for some of the effects, as well as noted in the interview bit in the episode. Third, keep up the good work. I need my weekly dose of ELO talk. Third, thank you very much. And we will until... We're um, done. Um, I think I have that Eagle DVD. I've got the one that has the concert and the Discovery video album. I bought it for the video album. Um, so I listened to it before we did that episode, but I'll give it another listen. Maybe I just wasn't hearing it right on my surround sound. Rick Hawk 22 says, The first song of the best side of an album ever created. Concerto for a Rainy Day was the soundtrack to my youth. I played it in the dark at night when settling down to sleep to just focus on the sounds. This is the culmination in my mind of what Jeff envisioned when he started ELO with Roy. This is the perfect fusion of rock, pop, and orchestral music in a perfect symphony of beautiful songs that flows along like a storm coming through the plains. When I heard that Standing in the Rain would be performed live in concert recently, 
I was so excited to see and hear it, and it didn't disappoint. Truly an all-time favorite of mine from a classic album. Hello, this is Troy White, and this is my comment on Standing in the Rain. I don't have too much to say about this song, except that overall, I like it. I don't like it as much as Eric Paul does, but I don't think it's a complete washout either. I myself, if I were Jeff Lynne, and I'm not, but I probably would have just expanded this song and had it be the prologue to Mr. Blue Sky. I just don't find the next two songs in the sweet for a rainy day, Big Wheel, Summer and Lightning, that strong. Maybe he could have incorporated some of the best elements of those songs and had a strong instrumental prelude to Mr. Blue Sky, which is what everybody's waiting for anyway. But I do like the way Jeff arranged this song. I like some of the effects on it. I think they were wise in using uh, tapes when they hit the stage with this because they didn't have the technology back in 1978 to properly do it the way they needed to live. So I don't have too much of a problem with that. I don't think the song's strong enough to have as a concert opener, but that's just me. But as I said, Mr. Blue Sky is my favorite song on the album, and I think this song, again, would serve as an excellent prologue if he had ditched the other two and just expanded this. But overall, again, I like the song. Now, however, I do have one problem on this week's podcast. You dissed Kiss. You dissed the greatest band in the history of the multiverse. Oh, man. Full disclosure, I'm a charter member of the KISS Army. I joined in 1976, sent my $5 when I saw the ad on the inner sleeve of the Destroyer album, which I bought the minute it hit the shelves. <laughs> so yes, I am a lifelong KISS fan and a lifelong ELO fan, but uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, keep up the good work. I really enjoy this podcast. And I just can't wait to get to Wild West Hero. But I've got to hold on a few more weeks. All right, now comments about Big Wheels. James Crow says, great episode. I'm so glad Eric W. found a song he didn't know he liked on the album. Five, so he says, is better than none, I guess. Lynn Phelps wrote, amazing. I don't know if Lynn is talking about the song or that you actually like a song from Out of the Blue. Could be either one. It is an amazing song. Mark Herring says... You mentioned that maybe Jeff was reflecting upon how life as a rock star might not be as glamorous as one might think. This reminds me of a quote from Groucho Marx. It was my job to make love to beautiful women all day long. Sooner or later, I'd find something wrong with it. You know, I can relate to what Groucho was saying. I did have a job once where I got to have sex with beautiful women all day long. But after a while, it just, one after the other, they just all start to look the same. Yep. Each finger. <laughs> On my right hand, yeah. Quit playing with your dinghy. Okay. Mark Jealous, my favorite ELO track. Glad you like this one too. Jeff is a master at expressing heartbreak through the feelings of an introvert. This is the finest example of just that. Carrie Gomel says... Try it again. Carrie. Yeah. Let's try this again. <laughs> Corey Gomel says, This is on the list of my all-time favorite Jeff Lynn tracks. His voice is golden. Is that a thing? Well, it is now. Uh, Leonard Cohen in Tower of Songs says, I had no choice. I was blessed with a golden voice. Or I'm paraphrasing a little right. bit since I don't have the lyrics in front of me. But right. So if Leonard Cohen had a golden voice, I guess Len Platinum? Yeah. Diamond? Yeah. <laughs> Sean Byrne replied, Jeff's voice throughout the entire album was angelic. There's a way of describing it, I guess. Mm -hmm. However, he doesn't say which... Uh, angel. Which order of angels. Yes. Mark Herring says, while I'll agree with you 99%, I don't think I consider Tarzan's yell to be angelic. And Joe Chenault replied, that Tarzan yell gives me warm fuzzies every time I hear it. Oh, man! That does it for me! Gives me cold pricklies. <laughs> Troy White says, like Eric W. says at the beginning, I had almost forgotten about this song, too. I haven't played the album all the way through in years. I absolutely love this song. Definitely one of the best tracks on this album and one of their best songs ever. 
Reflecting upon Jeff's comments about how this song reminds him of a spaceship floating endlessly through the sky, I think this song could be seen as a sequel of sorts to Mission and World Record from a New World Record. Years later, the Sentry is still in his spaceship, orbiting the planet Earth, constantly observing what happens to the point that he has forgotten the purpose of his mission. Or perhaps he has finally been ordered to return to his home planet, but the ship can no longer travel at the speed of light. So he floats on endlessly through the cold, dark vacuum of space headed toward a home that he knows he will never reach before he dies. Such is his fate, big wheels turning indeed. And this is why I don't want to go on a long space journey with Troy. He's just a bottomless Definitely pit of happiness. not. <laughs> He's just a bottomless pit of happiness. The man who every week spreads a little joy, a little cheer, a little sunshine. So for summer enlightening, Mark Herring said, I always considered the bridge in Summer and Lightning to be a variation of the beat and jungle. This sounds awesome on a 12-string guitar. Yeah, I always noticed that too about the bridge in Summer and Lightning. And yeah, it, it would sound awesome on a 12-string guitar. I think Summer and Lightning sounds awesome no matter what, so... Well, it's, it's got that too. Yes. Troy White says, This is another song that I had almost forgotten about. I definitely love this song. One of Yellow's most Beatlesque songs, especially the acoustic guitar intro and the flowing harmonies in the chorus. As someone who could write a multi-volume book on unrequited love, I can relate to this song, thinking about whom you love, but whom you know doesn't return your affection, it can feel like hell. But then you see him or her again and damn, how it comes again. For a few days you are in heaven until reality slaps you in the face once again. I am glad that Jeff could still write good songs about heartbreak even after he met Sandy. He knew that not everyone could share the joy he had been experiencing, and he wanted to let those fans whose hearts were hurting that he definitely understood their pain. And of course, in hindsight, we know that Jeff would experience heartbreak yet again and would experience the joy of new love too. I never saw that with Summer and Lightning. I guess I was too busy with the music to pay too much attention to the lyrics. But, uh, yeah, Troy's uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, I can get what you're saying, unrequited love. There was somebody I was stupid smitten with who wasn't smitten with me. She liked me. I was nice and everything. And then she went away, and I was, oh, my God, no. And then I thought, oh, I finally got over it. And then she popped back in. It's like, oh, here it comes again. Uh, son of a bitch. And then she went away. She went back to college. And then eventually I did get over her and it's like, oh god, the hell did you, why, why did you waste so much time with her? Anyway. You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity. Moving on to Mr. Blue Sky, where we got a whole slew of comments, but uh, we're not going to read all of them because I'm tired of these episodes going on for an hour and a half. So here are a few selected comments for Mr. Blue Sky. Corey Gomel wrote, when you think about it, Jeff Lynne and ELO popularity have really mirrored the popularity of this song. Just barely a top 40 hit in the States when it was released. But it grew in popularity like a cult movie to the point where it's the quintessential ELO song. It is the nickname for the leader and title of his biopic and a staple on all classic rock stations. It rose after 2000 in prominence much the way Lynne did himself. From a low of a failed tour in 2001 to the recent sold-out shows and an induction into the Hall of Fame. Sure, a hit of controversy, all the words and music by Jeff Lynne? Just adds to the notoriety. Yeah, I didn't really bring up the part about that Kelly Roquette helped out with the writing of the song. Again, there was a lot of stuff that either slipped by us or that I totally forgot to include in there because it was a 22-minute episode. Mark Herring says, I always liked the song. But if you had told me in November of 1977 this song in the future would be recognized as the ELO song, I'd never have thought that. Yep. Yeah, I, I could see that because uh, by then you'd already had a number of songs that would be the ELO song, to tell you the truth. Well, yeah, Don't Bring Me Down, Telephone Line, Can't Get It Out of My oh, Head. Don't, don't Bring Me Down wasn't around yet, but... 77? Yeah, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but Telephone Line, definitely. Yeah. Turn to Stone, definitely. Yeah. Living Thing, yeah, all of those. Doug Payton, I think I once heard a band member interviewed about recording the music before the words were recorded, or maybe even written. Imagine, just the music without the words, and it sounds excruciatingly elementary. It's the vocals that really make the song. 
Yeah, I think the basic parts of Mr. Blue Sky, they are excruciatingly elementary. Just dun, 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 dun. But you bring in the choir and the vocals and the, uh, the orchestra and the vocoder and all that, and it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And... I- Yes. I'd say you could say the same about most pop music, to tell well, you the truth. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very basic in uh, its construction, but yeah, then you add on everything else, mm-hmm. and that's where you actually start to develop a memorable song. Yeah. And the band member that you heard interviewed about the recording process for ELO, that most likely was Jeff Lynn. Uh, he's said many times that he does the music first, all of the music first. Times Jeff will said, Ah, there, that's done. And then he thinks, oh, crap, that's right, i got to come up with words now. And it's much better than I do, because I can barely come up with the music. And it's tough for me just to come up with the words. Jeff's a friggin' musical genius. Don Field says, I enjoyed your episode. However, I offer a small correction in your sample section. Welcome to the Human Race and Prayer was done by the Brand Flakes, not the Brand Falks. I know a member of that two-man band, Otis Fodder, for years, and he sampled smaller parts of Yellow's songs for decades as he is a huge fan. Uh, I am putting the blame entirely on the Jeff Lynn database because that's where I got this information, and I checked after getting your comment, Don. And yeah, they do write the brand Falks. However, in Welcome to the Human Rage, which samples heavily from Horace Wimp, uh, I checked because... As we're recording this part, we just finished recording our Horace Wimp episode. And it says, for the information on who sampled from Horace Wimp, it says the brand Flakes, not the brand Falks. So, somewhere along the line, the guy who runs the Jeff Lynn database, who honestly is more dedicated than I would have been, and this show would have been short of a whole lot of facts without his sight. He eventually... Oh... I must have messed that up and fixed it later. Matthew Schultz wrote, A couple curious Mr. Blue Sky background omissions. Commercials. When mentioning Mr. Blue Sky commercial use, probably the most important to Jeff, was its use in VW's 20-02 Beatle convertible ad campaign. The time was one year after the Zoom album tour debacle, and ELO was considered commercially dead and buried in the minds of many. The mini-movie-like ad received great industry notice and proved to suits and creatives alike that ELO music could be a viable asset to media projects. The rest is history. Also, 2012 Summer Olympics. Surely one of Jeff's greatest achievements and honors is Mr. Blue Sky's use in the 2012's London Summer Olympics ceremony. Not only was it presented during the opening ceremony, but the closing one too. This surely is a historic first for a pop tune that is not an official games theme song. Yeah, I don't know how I left out that VW commercial, because I remember that being a, a big deal to me. And the Summer Olympics, I maybe it was just because Lisa's Song Facts segment was really going on long, and I was just, I gotta cut stuff, because we're already going to be doing a pretty long episode. Troy White says, We have arrived! This is one of my top five favorite ELO songs. I love everything about this song, especially the production. It moves through several different phases, like a mini-symphony yet nothing seems out of place. One of my favorite memories is associated with this song. I first heard Mr. Blue Sky on a local automated FM rock station in early July 1978. After playing a current Top 40 hit, can't remember which one, the automated announcer said, and now Mr. Blue Sky by Electric Light Orchestra. I hadn't bought the album yet, so I had not heard the song before. I loved it from the start. The summer of 1978 had been a wet one for Indiana. It seemed to rain almost every day up to that point. The song made me forget my rainy day blues. Then, as the orchestral part began near the end of the song, I noticed the reflection of the sun on my bedroom wall. I looked out the window. The clouds were parting and the sky was turning blue. I quickly went outside and saw a beautiful rainbow in the east. Jumping on my bike, I rode through the streets of my hometown, making sure to hit every puddle I could. Then I rode to the local dairy aisle for an ice cream cone and a Pepsi. The song's still ringing in my head. Yes, it would start raining again that night, but nothing could take this moment or this memory away from me. Thank you, ELO, and may the gods bless Jeff Lynn. That's a nice memory. It is actually a nice memory. Sounds like a Spielberg film. Stephen St. John wrote, An absolutely wonderful, beautiful, bouncy, happy song. I've always loved it. 
But until I started listening to your podcasts, I always thought the vocoded line at the end of the song was, Goodbye, Mr. Blue, and imagined the singer standing on a hill as night encroached, waving goodbye to the beautiful day. You ruined that! I almost wish I'd never started listening to your podcast. Almost. Think about it, though. Please turn me over. What a stupid thing to put at the end of a side. I bought this album, but I'm only going to listen to the first three sides. There's no need to listen to the fourth side. Well, okay, since you asked, I think I'll live in my delusional world and pretend I never found out what the vocoder is really saying. It makes for a better ending. Um, yeah, well, I thought that was kind of cute. I also thought it was kind of needless. What am I going to do with the double album? Just stop at side three? Not on this one, because (laughs) some of the good stuff is actually on side four. Yeah. You might be tempted to end on side two after side two. Just give it up. But yeah, (laughs) side three and four things is what you have to wait for. Yeah. On that thing. But the thing is, is that now that that was kind of like just a silly thing that sometimes was done. I mean, Tom Petty did that on the cassette version, I should say of uh, Full Moon Fever. And the CD version. Hello, CD listeners. We've come to the point in this album where those listening on cassette or records will have to stand up or sit down and turn over the record or tape. In fairness to those listeners, we'll now take a few seconds before we begin side two. Thank you. Here's side two. Oh, yeah, he did that. I was trying to remember if he did that or not on the C. I have the vinyl version. Oh. Of it, and you miss which out on you it. now pay through the nose for. Yeah, which luckily I didn't have to at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and it doesn't have the uh, flip it over thing. The uh, cassette thing was kind of funny because you know how you used to you leave a cassette just running. Yeah, I always hated those. And all of a sudden, sides. it comes on. Flip this over. <laughs> I don't have the cassette version. I, I, there's a completely different middle part with Tom on the cassette version. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look. Yeah, there, there's a part that comes on if you leave it running. It comes on, reminding you to flip the cassette over. <laughs> and I think there's a part at the end that says something like "Thank you for listening." Now play it again, or something like. That. I can't remember. I got rid of the cassette version years and years mm. ago, like I did with all my with most of my cassettes. Sounds like something I would have done on one of my homemade cassette albums that I sold about 50 copies of at local record stores. 50 copies. Uh, something like that. You owe me another buck fifty on royalties. I I really do, and uh, <laughs> me get you that uh, get you that check. It's it's held up in legal, especially when Loon Records and tapes switched over to Loon Music, and it's a, it's a whole thing with lawyers and accountants. Trust me, your your check's coming. Just it's probably going to take another twenty five years. Okay, well I guess a candy bar will have to wait. You, know, you got no other choice. It's out of my hands. Yep. Yep. So Pam Van Allen. What are Alec Guinness eyes? Well, uh, go watch Star Wars. When he pulls up his hood and reveals himself to be Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, that's what we used to call it, not Episode Four or A New Hope, Star Wars. Look at his eyes. Look at Jeff Lynn's eyes in any of the videos that Jeff did without sunglasses in 1977, and you'll say, those are Alec Guinness eyes. Or, he has Alec Guinness eyes, if you want to. Go the Betty Davis eyes route. Right, and then you just clap a little bit after that. Yeah. Okay. That's as enthusiastic as you're going to get out of me. Hi, Eric and Eric. This is Tim in Tokyo. I really enjoyed your Mr. Blue Sky talk. I was 13 in the summer of 1978, and, yeah, I remember at least one station did play that song on a regular basis. And, no, yeah, they did not include the Concerto for a Rainy Day ending part. That was not on the radio. But I think a lot of top 40 stations never played Mr. Blue Sky at all. Since I've been living in Tokyo the past 30 years, I was completely unaware that Mr. Blue Sky has become the ELO song that everyone knows. And yeah, I agree, that is kind of puzzling, but maybe uh, McCartney is right that the song's optimism is what grows on everyone and maybe makes it last longer than the songs that were bigger hits in 1978. Keep up the good work. How do you do, Mr. Sponsor? How do you do? Oh, Sponsor! 
Electric Light Orchestra on Jet Records and Tapes. Distributed by CBS Records. Back to ELO. Mark Herring says... For sweet, is the, for sweet is the Night, by the way. Mark Herring says, If Out of the Blue was released today, Sweet as the Night would have always been considered as the finale to the Concerto for a Rainy Day, as I have always considered it. No other ELO record ends with Please Turn Me Over, as Mr. Blue Sky does. Why? Because of the physical limitations of putting a fifth track on side three. You just can't do it and preserve the song's dynamic range without having the needle gouge into the neighboring grooves. The night is the logical conclusion to the day, and thus, it is also the logical conclusion of the concerto. I never thought of that. I guess you can kind of look at it that way. I agree with the sound quality, though. Yeah, you don't really want to... That's one thing I do like about Electric Light Orchestra. They didn't try and shove too much on one side of a record. There is that. Your logic is sound, Mark, even though I, I can't... I don't know, I just can't see Sweet as the Night as part of the concerto. Maybe it's just because I'm used to it after listening to it for 35 years, but it just always, to me anyway, it seemed like Mr. Blue Sky, that's a good place to end this the rainy day concerto. William Osborne wrote, Yes! I'm glad both Eric's agree on this one. I've always loved this song. It follows from the concerto for a rainy day really well. I've always loved Kelly's vocals on this song too, and I do think it's a shame he isn't used more often throughout their discography. Regarding the style of it, I can't quite put my finger on it, but lyrically it's always reminded me slightly of David Bowie. I remember from the first time I heard this, I thought it sounded like Bowie meets Beatles. I can kind of see that. Yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're going towards Bowie after when he started doing the Plastic Soul stuff right before his experimental, yeah, I can kind of see that there. Troy White says, Here is another sweet surprise. I haven't heard this song in years, and I had almost forgotten how much I love it. This is a beautiful ELO ballad with some excellent vocal work from Jeff and Kelly. I love the way Jeff channels Dylan at certain points, and yes, the song does remind me of a Roy Orbison ballad. I agree that this should have been the third single from Out of the Blue, instead of It's Over. Now, how many songs until Wild West Hero? I think it was three more at that point. Exactly. And Pam Van Allen corrected us, and I feel like an oaf for not realizing this. She said, Cartier refers to an expensive watch. Which, actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Look at your yeah. Cartier, and it's getting late. I, I know we both thought that it was like a bag, and you got your makeup in it or whatever if you're a girl. Or exactly transvestite, so, whatever. Um, so yeah, I feel kind of stupid. Because for 35 years, check your watch, it's getting late. The Cartier says it's, it's getting late. I'm just still, oh, she's looking in her makeup bag. No, no. Context clues. Time. It's getting late. Why would she be looking in her makeup bag? Because women be cray? There you go. That's okay. why. Okay. <laughs> You're a sexist jerk. MJ Fold says, I just listened to this podcast. Yes, I always love the song. And yes, like you, I always forget about it for some reason. I was like, when I saw the next podcast, oh, it's that song. Then I started playing the podcast and was like, oh, it's that song. I love that song. So yay for us all agreeing. Oh, and the Kinks used Cartier in a great song from the early 80s called Add It Up. More as a backup noise. They go Gucci, 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 Cartier, Cartier. And I may sample Eric doing that and turn that into a little rap at the end of the show. <laughs> well, actually, somebody already did something a few years ago similar to that. It's considered one of the worst pop rap songs by a girl named Cray Sean. They call Gucci Gucci. <laughs> That's a tough category to be tops in. Worst pop rap song. Yeah. Yeah. Gucci Gucci Fendi Fendi Louis Louis Prada. I've already heard enough. Basic bitches wear that stuff, but I, that don't mean I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd kind of like to hear you remake that. <laughs> yeah, sad thing is, she's the daughter of one of the musicians in the Trash Women, which was a halfway decent surf band from the 90s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, well. For the whale. Tracer Anthony says, Need to kill some time and fill up some space on a rock album? 
Just not in the mood to write any more interesting sounding lyrics? Never fear, just reach back for a cold, frothy instrumental. Ah, and that one was nice and wet and refreshing. Cola, it's the spot. William Osborne, when I first started getting into ELO, I hated this song. I remember thinking, oh no, not another instrumental. But over time, it's grown on me quite a lot. It's easily one of my least favorite tracks on the album, but I like it. It is very relaxing and has a great sense of atmosphere to it. I'd say one plus side of double albums are that you get more room for experimentation. Something Secret Messages was tragically missing in its original single LP format. As a side note, I think After All is an absolute masterpiece and easily my favorite all-time instrumental piece by ELO. Joe Turner says, So underrated, Richard at his best. Yeah, I will give you that. The, the, the synthesizer and the keyboard work, it does a really great job of making you feel like you're underwater and not drowning. Exactly. Yep. Mark Jealous. Agree with E.W. Oh, that'd be Eric Winsensen. Agree with E.W. on this one. Could have trimmed it a bit, but fantastic imagery from the music. Brings majesty, beauty, and fragility front and center. Yes, it repeats, but also builds, much like The Fall. Spoiler alert, wonderful track. This track is also wonderful. Makes me want to hug a whale. I'd probably suggest not hugging whales. They... Uh, I don't know. Um, They sometimes... Well, it depends on the whale, I guess. It depends on the whale. Spock mine melded with one and he came out fine. That's true. Yeah. And then Troy White says, should have been relegated to the soundtrack of a bad 70s porn movie. I... Well, unfortunately, <laughs> a good portion of their music was. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think one <laughs> porn movie using ELO is one too many for me. <laughs> there are still moments from that movie that I now, unfortunately, associate with some ELO songs that I really like, like the start of Daybreaker. I had never thought before how great that sounds at the moment Betrayal is revealed. <laughs> Troy White has a few things to say about Birmingham Blues. Now we're talking. One of my all-time favorite ELO songs. Should have been released as a single. I'll bet it would have gone top 20, maybe top 10. The band adds a bit of a Stones vibe to their usual Beatlesque sway. Nice fusion of all three bands on this song. Also, this song should have been on side one. I would have made this song the second track on side one and moved it's over to side four. As it stands though, there are two excellent tracks on the fourth side. One stinker and one meh track. Guess which or which. Therefore, avoiding the sluggish monotony that is side two. Um. I don't think it should have been the second song on side one. Yeah, you, there's only four songs. You kind of need a ballad in there somewhere on, on a side. But uh, not It's Over. Uh, there were better ballads on Out of the Blue to use, although right now my mind's drawing a blank. And I think my idea of the stinker in the mez probably reversed from his. It might be. I suppose yes. we'll find out as we go on. And now the last song on the album, Wild West Hero. Mark Jealous says... A dream of the Wild West would be an idealized vision of it, so I can see why this works. Must be annoying for Americans, mine. Just like for the Brits, who according to Hollywood seem to either speak like Hugh Grant or Dick Van Dyke. Um, yeah, this idealized version of the Wild West is pretty much how Americans see the Wild West, since that ideal version was created by... Hollywood in California, which is part of the United States. The thing that's more annoying to me, though, is the uh, Dixie and Down Hometown. Once you realize what Dixie is about, it's not a song you want to include in any of your music, unless you're making a documentary about Southern slave owners in the uh, 1850s. And you ain't just whistling Dixie. I certainly would not do it. Not, not this close to St. Louis. As for the Brits, I always thought they all just talk like the Geico Gecko. Because people trust advertising icons. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> now we just now now we're gonna get letters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> believe me, there's some hate mail that's coming up. Jim Crow wrote one of my favorites on the album. I particularly enjoy the a cappella vocal section and the guitar breakdown. But the best thing about it is that it's my oldest son's first ELO favorite. 
Seeing it live in Oakland was the highlight of the show for him. That sounds nice. And we have a call from Troy about this song. Wild West Hero is a pretty good song overall, I think. Um, I'm not so sure it belongs on Out of the Blue. Uh, it might have been better as just a special single release, but I'm not going to quibble too much over the fact that it is on the album. I do agree that it probably shouldn't have closed the album. I think Mr. Blue Sky, the whole concerto for a rainy day, would have been better on side four. But as it stands, that's the way Jeff sequenced it, so that's the way it is. This song reminds me a lot of Roy Rogers by Elton John off of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I grew up watching westerns, you know, western TV shows, western movies. I still like them. I have not seen the video for this song probably a good thing but it reminds me from what i heard of blazing saddles maybe but overall it's a good song kind of brings back a wave of nostalgia when i hear it i do agree though that the guitar part and the player piano doesn't need to be on it it's kind of distracting and every time i hear it i imagine jeff and the boys doing that cowboy wiggle as they walk into the saloon cinching up their pants and bellying up to the bar for a shot. At least that's how I picture it in my mind. But like I said, I do like this song. It's fun, but I just think they should have picked Mr. Blue Sky as the album closer. So now we're finished with Out of the Blue. I've often said I think Out of the Blue would have been better as a single album. Well, I'm going to try to come up with a track sequencing for that. But I know that's probably going to cause more arguments than it solves. But uh, I'm kind of, you know, trying to see if I can do it. If I can nail it and wiggle it down to the 11 or 12 essential cuts. I'll let you know. Kathy Richards, can you imagine what a rock concert would be like without the SEC? Ice cream, chocolates, candles. Excuse me, are there any seats left? Who knows, dearie, I'm always kept in the dark. Let's have an ear, Richard. You see, our job is to keep the electricity coming. Electricity for all kinds of needs, for industry, for homes, for entertainment. Victoria has great resources of brown coal to fuel the power stations we're planning and building now. So in 10, 20, 50 years from now, you'll always have electricity to light up your life. It's our job, and we won't let you down, Kathy Richards. And I found this comment in my Facebook messages, and it was directed at me, Alain Dubois. And he says, Get a life, Hillbilly, and stop bashing ELO on your podcast that no one listened to. Your co-host is total trash. Get a life. Ain't that the truth. These kind of comments always make me laugh. I don't want to encourage more comments like this, but they make me laugh. This is the first time I've ever been called a hillbilly, so this is a, a new insult on me. Well, Artie, give him a fanfare! I don't think I'm a hillbilly. Uh, I've never had sexual or romantic relations with anybody related to me, even most distantly. The only thing I can think of that I have a Confederate flag on is a Hot Wheels Dukes of Hazard General Lee car that I got for Christmas in 1980. I don't drink moonshine. I don't drink anything, actually. I don't drink any alcohol. I was born in Boston, lived in New England for my first seven years. I'm a good liberal who voted for Obama four times, so... I'll see where the hillbilly part fits. Oh, well, wait, wait, wait a minute here. <laughs> <laughs> what, the four times? <laughs> D- 
damn liberals always cheating at the elections. I'm including the primaries. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stop bashing ELO on your podcasts that no one listened to. Well, I total up the numbers every week, figuring in Podomatic, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, and Mixcloud. And as of Monday, October 7th, we cleared 48,000 listens. So that's a lot of nobodies listening to the show. I was going to say, there's a lot of controversy these days about using certain words that might or might not offend people. Mm-hmm. And there was a certain word we used to use back as kids to refer to somebody who we thought was not that bright. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, it's now a word that uh, gets bleeped out a lot because it's considered right. very offensive towards mentally disabled people. Right. I've always wondered why that got so sensitive since it was actually a scientific word to begin with. It wasn't meant as an insult. And typically when we used it as an insult, it was not towards people of that type. It was just to be an insult towards somebody who wasn't. Right. But now I'm understanding why we had to get rid of that word because (laughs) calling somebody like this, that word, insults people who are mentally deficient because they can't help it, but some people can. Yes. But they decide to be <laughs> yeah. like that anyway. Yeah. So yeah. that's about all I've got to say about that, other than um, his brother and sister should have used protection. But anyway. Probably, yes. And as yes. for my co-host being <laughs> trash, uh, no, no. Uh, he's a decent family man, a citizen that I just happen to have disagreements on fundamental issues. And that's what this podcast is all about. He's a decent person and a person that you do not have to be scared of. As long as he stays on my good side, then I might chop him up and turn him into trash and throw him out. person you don't have to be afraid of as long as, you, as, long as you're not trying to get into my home when uninvited. <laughs> that's what it's that. right. <laughs> And then twice in here he says, get a life. Um, I have a wife who loves me. And two or three times a week, we bang it out. Her daughter adores me and thinks I'm just all that in a tube of Funyuns. I get money in the bank, Legos in my home. I'm 50 years old. I still got all my hair. About maybe 5% of it is gray. I got a podcast that 48,000 people have listened to so far. So, um, I don't know. I think I got a life. Probably spent a lot more time on this than we should. Probably, but but we don't get a lot of negative comments, so it's actually fun to actually play with them when we do. It that's exactly right. Yeah, because I was expecting a lot more internet trolls like this than when we started (laughs) doing stuff. Because everybody on the internet, you suck. Kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, I can't kill myself. (laughs) We still, I still got to finish the CLO podcast. We're probably only halfway through at this point. So. And on that joyous note, let us get on with the show. Uh, This is a review that we got on iTunes, and. People should go. And the more reviews we get, the more stars we get, the more attention the show gets, and the happier me and Eric will be. And there won't be some weird suicide murder pact that goes on if things don't, you know, if the show bombs. Okay, speak for yourself on that one. (laughs) (laughs) You go first. (laughs) I created the show, so I've already done my part. Fistoff says, way to alienate audience. Sorry to hear that your cult has brainwashed you into thinking abortion is a good thing. This show was great. Too bad you had to ruin it with politics. True fans don't try to alienate other fans. You could have just had a passing laugh and said, Man, I never would have thought of that. And moved on. Instead of harping on it for several minutes and labeling everyone who doesn't share your views as extremist whack jobs. I'll still give you four stars because the show was otherwise good. Okay, so uh, what are we referring to here? Living thing, because there were people... Oh, okay. Okay, because I'm trying to figure out what cult has brainwashed Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. (laughs) Man, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. um, No, when I... Okay, now this is probably going to alienate a few people, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm kind of having a chuckle on this one saying as I... Even though I'm really upset with the party over the last few years, I actually am a Republican. And when I said cult and whack jobs, I wasn't talking about just like normal, regular people who are against abortion. I have friends who are against abortion. Some of them are pretty nice people. If you've got a beef against abortion, okay, I, I can see where you're coming from. I'm talking about the real nutballs, 
the ones who see their agenda in everything. And I do mean everything. I was going to make this up as an example, totally fabricate it. And then two days later, the Westboro Baptist Church actually took the idea in my head that I never mentioned to anybody and made it into reality. I'm talking about people like the Westboro Baptists who say that Weird Al Yankovic is a horrible, horrible, horrible person. They say he has, he changes the vain and lustful lyrics of popular songs for words equally empty and void of edification. Forsake your vain parodies, Mr. Yankovic, and consider Westboro Baptist parodies with Bible-based messages, which I'm sure are even more hilarious than Gump or Another One Rides the Bus. Or the hilarious part is anybody in the Westboro Church ever cracking open a Bible. <laughs> yeah. And they were going to picket one of his concerts in, in Kansas. Uh, another thing they had against Weird Al is that he has long hair in contradiction to standards of God. I have long I mean like Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus gets an exception. He's the boss. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and they hate Weird Al because he gave his support to the sodomite cause no hate campaign which teaches others that proud sin has no consequence and those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ should be silenced so these are the people I'm talking about when I say crackpots who saw abortion and living thing it's those kind of crackpots I'm talking about I'm not talking about people who go about their life and just you know I really don't like abortion okay but they don't see it in another one rides the bus or green tambourine or I don't know horse with no name. Why doesn't it have a name? Because it was aborted by some bastard. Sounds crazy to me. Those are the whack jobs. I think I've whack jobbed this clear. Definitely. Yeah. And I don't think it's a whack job idea that maybe if I don't have a uterus, I really shouldn't go screaming about what I feel about abortion. Well, you're a man, and men know everything, and everybody else should just listen. I mean, yeah, we don't have the body... You know, it's like white people who tell black people, no, 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 you're living your life wrong. White men, we, we know everything. So just nod your head and say, you know what? That white man is right. What am I bitching for? There you go. I've, I've solved another world problem in only two seconds. Yep, now get us a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The hump has to eat. So Jill has a comment about an episode that you're not going to find on iTunes or Podbean or any other place that the podcast is openly, freely posted. Jill A. Schnoltz says, I didn't know this was here until I happened to see it just now. Thanks. I enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. What she's talking about is a Patreon-only episode. You can only hear this episode if you subscribe to our Patreon site. For our dollar per episode, which is usually just four episodes a month, four dollars, you will get to hear episodes a week before they air, plus... You get to hear this special episode that I made just for Patreon. I count down the top 33 ELO singles that were released in America, and this isn't just, well, what I think are the 33 best ELO singles. They only released 33 in America, so that's why it's not top 40. This goes according to the Billboard charts. I did some calculating and figurifying and put things in order, and I counted them down 33 to number 1. And you might be surprised what the number one ELO single is in America. I was. I was expecting it to be something else. But after all the numberifying, I, it, it, it was not what I expected. So if you want to hear it, you got to chip in at Patreon because that's the only place you're going to be able to hear it. It's only a dollar. Four dollars a month. Even I can afford that. If you donate to the podcast through our Patreon site, patreon.com slash ELOPod, you can get bumper stickers, produce an episode, or for just $1 per episode, $4 a month, you can hear shows a week before they're released to the world. Or skip all that and just hand it over directly through PayPal using the email address ELOFTMpodcast at gmail.com. Rich Hawk 22. Out of the Blue was the first album I purchased from ELO. It was used and I wore it out. It was also the first CD I purchased when CDs came into existence. My all-time favorite album of theirs because of the artwork on the album cover, the wide range of music on the album, 
and the culmination of the best side of a record that exists in their catalog in Concerto for a Rainy Day. Turn to Stone starts the record off in a perfect upbeat pop rock song that one never tires of listening to. Just fantastic! Oh, I, did I say Rich Hawk? That's what Rick Hawk 22 thinks of the album. Now, as for Winsensen over there, he kind of dreaded going into this album as soon as we started the podcast. And then once we got to this album, it was kind of like, can't wait to just get through this album. It's never been one of his favorite albums. But over these last 17 weeks, you've hit on some songs that you forgot about and you actually liked. So has your opinion changed about the album? Do you still think it's yeesh? Or do you like it a little bit better now? Well, I still wouldn't say it's one of my favorite albums. Um, I agree with Troy that this should have been a single album. Even though there's a little bit on it that tried to make it a single album, try to jam it all in there, it probably wouldn't have sounded that great because it would have been about a 50 to 55 minute album. But it was on a CD, I'd say that that would be about good. Mm -hmm. I, in the past, have rated this, I believe, just two stars. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I think now going through Concerto for a Rainy Day again and realizing how much that holds together and except for Wild West Hero, how much I like the last side, mm-hmm. I think it's bumped up a star. Yeah. I would give it three stars. There's so much on here that should be removed that could have knocked it up to a four to four and a half star album if it was just basically almost the entire second side gone. <laughs> and then the... Uh, good songs on the first side thrown onto the second side and i would no, i should say thrown onto the first side make that last side the first side of the album <laughs> get rid of wild west hero and then concerto for the rainy day being the second side and that be it i keep seeing masterpiece when people talk about this album elo fancy oh this was jeff lynn's masterpiece this is the best elo album and uh no it is not a masterpiece. Not when you've got El Dorado in your discography. Right. I think it's a good album. I like it. I've always liked it. I think it's got a lot of fantastic, great songs on it. I don't think it's a great album. And don't ask me why. Because for 30-whatever years, I've always tried to figure out, why is this a really, really good album and not a great album? The only things my mind can kind of come up with is, I don't know if maybe it's just a little too polished, And I don't know if that's just a stupid nitpicky critic thing that snooty critics say. I don't know, maybe if it's just too much of the Jeff Lynne formula on one album outing. I can't tell you why I think it's a really good album and not a great album. Plenty of times in my life, I've said, sweet Jesus, I gotta hear Out of the Blue. Um, Like a lot of double albums, it could have done with some trimming. I think this could have been a great single album if you got rid of some songs and you could have had another album come out in 1978 with some of the other songs on this album could have done without it's over and the whale and yeah concerto for a rainy day should have been the last side of the album it should have closed with mr blue sky instead of wild west hero which was a fine close you know that nice little wild west hero fade out there but if your rock band includes the name orchestra and part of your hook is that you use 30-piece orchestras with choirs and all that, then you should end your album with something that has a big orchestra and choir and big classical blowout. And that's what Mr. Blue Sky ends with. And that would have been a great way to end the album. Instead of just the kind of, wish I was a Wild West hero, piano fade out. I would give it four stars. I think it's a damn good album. I don't think it's a great album. Yeah. My ideal version of this album, and as much as I like The Whale, my ideal version of it would be Turn to Stone, Sweet Talking Woman, and then Sweet as the Night, Birmingham Blues to fill out the first side. Maybe Believe Me Now thrown in there someplace as well. Mm -hmm. That way it's still keeping it short enough to where it's not sounding like crap on vinyl. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then, of course, flip side the entire concerto for a rainy day. Yeah. And there you go. There you've got an album the same level as New World Record. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think what's missing off of this is the fact that it's New World Record and then him saying, okay, well, you like New World Record. <laughs> Here's a lot more, including B-sides. Yeah. No, a lot of this stuff could have just stayed as B-sides. They could have just cut it down to that album, released a... Um, <clears throat> a shipload of singles <laughs> yeah. off the album and 
thrown a lot of this other stuff on the singles as B-sides instead of trying to grab stuff from the old albums to fill in as B-sides. Yeah. Because, uh, in fact, ELO, when it comes to non-album B-sides, has usually been instrumentals, and they've been pretty good. So Yes, they have. It's, uh, it's not like they've been bad on the B-side. No, they have not. Part of it. So. Yeah. Out of the Blue is the seventh studio album by the Electric Light Orchestra. It was recorded over the summer of 1977, starting in May and running through August. It was released on October 3rd, 1977. The plan was to release it earlier than that, but Telephone Line had an unexpected long chart run, so that held up the release of the album. It's ELO's first, and only, double album of newly recorded material. This was the first time the ELO logo was used as a spaceship. The shuttle's registry number, JTLA823L2, is the catalog number for the album. The album also came with a poster of the group and a cardboard cutout of the ship. Out of the Blue got to number 32 in Japan, 23 in Italy, 14 in France, it reached number 6 in New Zealand and West Germany, it hit number 5 on the US Cashbox album chart, it got to number 4 in the UK and United States. In Australia, it got to number 3, same result in Norway and on the Dutch chart, and number 2 in Canada and Sweden. On the 1977 year-end charts, it ranked at number 59 in Australia, number 48 in the UK, and number 36 on the Dutch charts. For the 1978 year-end charts, it finished at number 80 in Italy, 46 in Canada, 18 in the United States, 15 on the Dutch charts, 11 in Australia, and number 7 in England. And it held on so long that it even made the year-end chart in the UK for 1979, where it ranked at number 26. It charted again when the remastered reissue was released in 2007, getting to number 18 in the United Kingdom. Out of the Blue was certified gold in Germany and the Netherlands and went platinum in Canada, the UK, and the United States. Now wait a minute. All right, before we get to the outtakes, a few quick shout-outs. First, a big thank you to the people who gave us money through Patreon. Andrew Clarkson, Frederick Skaw, James Crow, Jill A. Chenault, Michael Mullen, R.J. Richards, Silver Wings, and the ESO Network. And a hefty thank you to Stephen St. John. He created the whale bed you're hearing. Got your own instrumental rendition of an ELO song you'd like us to use on a bonus tracks episode? Send it to ELOFTMPodcast at gmail.com. Big wheels. Throughout both Jeff Lynn and... Tandy? Brain fart. <laughs> Brain fart. Brain fart. T- Keyword. Tandy. Tandy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 first name. Richard Tandy. Richard God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, from here, yes. you'll, you'll know where to edit. Yeah. <laughs> Both Je- Jeff Lynn and Richard Tandy are kind of like a very high organ riff. And, uh, did you just get attacked? Uh, it just finally came to me that what the song was. It's Ordinary Dream, it's not Ordinary World. I was like, okay. Oh, right. I was about to say, all of a sudden you got a Duran Duran song <laughs> stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay, back to this. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, the choir said... Mr. Blue Sky. And that's when we just started going to our own record collections after a while. Yes, yes, and and iPods, and we can listen to whatever music we want to, and we don't ever have to hear the zombies. Time of the season. Again. Um, that's an excellent song that doesn't get old. I did, to me, it did. I just, it just heard it way too much. But we're diverting, and we need to get back on track yes we need to get back speaking of strange <laughs> yeah. things and record collections and yes. enjoying record collections you record over yes yes it's not like yeah it's not like the spindles getting all the action and now it's time to turn over and use the other i may just cut that out because it went nowhere yes that went nowhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah um 
I think the coolest something in my eye. I'm good, though. Which episode was that? Monsters and something. It was the one with the um, fat blob who absorbs people, and the guy's girlfriend was turned into uh, a slab of uh, sidewalk. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, now I, now I remember which one it was. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Where, um, yeah. Hmm. Where, um, well, yeah, there's some implications <laughs> in that particular episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that are kind of, uh, strange. Yeah. Yep. Where he's got moaning Myrtle forever as a sidewalk girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> um,. And this was something I did not know about until last... Now I, I always will. Yeah. It's not really separated at all, so yeah, it's yeah. basically always considered part of Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, that's... You know, everybody other than Jeff Lynn thinks it is. that That's all just part of one Mr. Blue Sky. Well, time to do what the song says and turn the record over. Sweet as the night. And, and Andrew Whiteside wrote, and I kind of agree with him, that there isn't a lot of deep meaning in, in Jeff's lyrics. It's more just as if it's part of the song. Um, so, and I forgot where I was going to go with that. <laughs> um, anyway, I slept terrible last night, so my head's not all here. Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash ELO pod. Next week, episode 076, Shine a Little Love.